Well, please join me in Revelation chapter 21. We're going to today wrap up our summer series that we've called The Big Picture. And I hope this has been helpful to you as we've looked at four words over these weeks. And if you can hang on to these four words, first of all, it's going to help you understand and be able to articulate a biblical worldview. Also, if you'll hold on to these four words, they will help you share the gospel with people in your life. These four words are creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. These are four words you could scratch onto a napkin there at Panera and just walk somebody through the gospel message. Those would be your gospel prompts, those four words. You could also use our wristband that we make available and use those images there as gospel prompts. That, that earth there, that's for the purpose of talking about God made us. He made a perfect universe. But then we talk about what went wrong. And in our wristbands, that broken heart is how we talk about the fall. That yes, the first man and woman sinned against God, brought in a fall. But also that brokenness is not just out there in the world, it's in us, all of us sinners ourselves. And so you had a, you've got that image, then you've got the broken heart, then the cross where you can talk about redemption. What did God do to redeem us? What did God do to reconcile us to himself? He sent his son, Jesus. He died on a cross. He was raised from the dead. And if you'll believe in him, you'll get a new heart. And so you go from that brokenness to be made whole, reconciled to God. And then we have that cloud, and that's where we start to talk about restoration. And as you're going to see today from our text, cloud doesn't really do it justice. We had to find some shorthand way of talking about heaven. The best is yet to come. Now, last time we began our conversation about restoration in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as we saw that we are anticipating when Christ returns, the glorious resurrection of these very bodies. But a person might ask the question, well, if I'm going to heaven, why am I going to need this body back? Well, because you are destined for the new earth. You're going to need a resurrected body to live on the resurrected earth. And again, it's going to make a lot of sense when you get to our passage here in Revelation 21. So we're waiting on a personal restoration and the restoration of the entire earth. We're waiting on a personal resurrection, but as we're going to see, a resurrection of the entire universe. Now, are you familiar with those restoration companies? There are companies out there like ServPro. This is not a paid endorsement for ServPro. I just have liked their commercials through the years. That's the one restoration company that I remember. They have a great slogan. It's this, like it never even happened. So what they're claiming is you have some calamity at your house or at your business, they can come in and make your place as good as new. Isn't it good to know there are people to call when things happen? On their website, they tell you the types of calamities they can reverse for you. Water damage, fire damage, mold remediation, storms and disasters, biohazards. That sounds ominous, but they're claiming... They can make you as good as new. It's like it never even happened, even if you have a biohazard incident. Vandalism and graffiti. And this one, this is very scary, even crime scenes. So they're saying, look, we could come in after any of these terrible things and make you as good as new. Good to know somebody to call. Now, what do you do when you look at a world and the mess that this world in? Is there anybody to call? Is there anybody who can make this right? There are disasters here, diseases and death. Listen, God is the one to call because he's the one who promised to make all things new, to give us new heaven, 
new earth. Now, I want you to see this from the scripture yourself. Here we are, Revelation 21. Let's look together at verse 1 and following. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. We know that Jesus said in John 14, I've gone to prepare a place for you. And here in Revelation 21, it's one of the places where it's described for us what Jesus has gone to prepare for us. And here we're given amazing details. Now, right now, we know this from the scripture. When somebody dies and they knew Christ, their body is buried, but they go immediately into the presence of God. 2 Corinthians 5 talks that way. Remember the thief on the cross. What a wonderful encounter. A thief on the cross looked over at Jesus and displayed amazing faith. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. So paradise already for the believer in Jesus who dies. But what we're told here in Revelation 21 is there's still more to come. There's a resurrection of the very earth that's ultimately going to happen. So we ask the question, well, when is that going to happen? When is a new heaven, new earth going to happen? Because we know believers already in heaven. Well, this happens after the return of Christ. Just like after the return of Christ, the resurrection of our bodies, same after the return of Christ. But it's even past that. It's after what the book of Revelation describes as the millennial reign of Christ, that thousand year reign of Christ. This is when we're told there will be this new heaven, new earth. Also at that time after the millennial reign, that's when Satan is bound and cast into hell as a prisoner where the scripture says he will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And at that same time, we have the great white throne judgment of unbelievers. So when, when this new heaven, new earth, well, it's coming, it's in the future, and it's going to be the eternal state. So what we're being promised here is the earth itself is going to be fully restored. A new Jerusalem is going to descend from heaven and will be here on the new earth, a renewed earth. So what are we then to expect? I want us to look at several things from our text here in Revelation 21. First of all, on the new earth, we will have a restored paradise. On the new earth, we'll have a restored paradise. Genesis 1 tells us in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But here in Revelation 21, essentially we're being told God's going to recreate the heaven and the earth. Verse 1, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Verse four, the former things have passed away. So all the negative things associated with this sin-marred earth is going to be taken away. It's going to be replaced with what we're told here, the new earth and the new heaven. We can say it this way. We are really heading back to an Eden-like experience. Adam and Eve given a perfect environment, everything they could have ever needed, but they fell. They disobeyed God, brought the whole of creation into disarray and division, separated from God, spiritual death, all that. But here we're told 
that at the end, we're heading back to Eden in a sense. So there's a passing away though of the present order of the present earth. And that's taught not just here in Revelation 21, but we see it throughout the scriptures. And I want you to see these with me. Second Peter chapter three, verse 10, we read this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's the apostle Peter writing about this very same thing in 2 Peter 3. Jesus himself spoke this way in Mark 13, 31. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Even in the Old Testament, we read of this, the prophet Isaiah in two places. Isaiah 51, 6, lift up your eyes to the sky, then look to the earth beneath, for the sky will vanish like smoke. And the earth will wear out like a garment and its inhabitants will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will not wane. Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. So this present earth, there's coming a time when it will be destroyed with fire, being purified, refined and made new. It's amazing what we're told here throughout the scriptures. It appears that this is going to happen quite quickly. So there'll be this instantaneous demolition of the earth by fire. But in the same moment, in the twinkling of an eye, I would presume right back into this glorious pre-fall condition. Now we have God bringing about a new earth. So we have here in verse two, we're talking about this new Jerusalem that's going to descend from heaven onto this new perfected earth. So paradise was lost at the fall, but here we're promised at last paradise regained. The earth will be remade. Now hear this with me as we read another passage from Isaiah describing these days that are coming on the earth and even the harmony that we don't presently have, but that we're going to have even animals involved here. Isaiah eleven six. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra and the wean child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So what we're hearing here is this understanding that heaven will one day be here on the perfected earth. We can say it this way, that heaven and earth, this renewed earth will merge. So right now, our Christian loved ones who have died, they are away from here with God in heaven. But there's coming a day when they will be with God here on the renewed earth. Heaven will be here. So we could ask this question. So where will I be as a child of God when I die? The answer is heaven. I'm, I'm going to be in 
heaven. Our choir sang beautifully about heaven. It's just the location of heaven. Eventually at the end, after the millennium, we'll be here on the renewed earth. So this helps us understand then why a resurrection body? Why would I need a physical body raised and glorified? Well, you're going to need it for this resurrected earthly experience that you're going to have. Now notice again, what will not be on the earth. We're just talking about paradise. We're anticipating what will not be on the earth is thrilling. Let's see it again. Verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Oh, a renewed paradise we are anticipating. But not only that, we're taught here in this passage, a renewed and restored intimacy with God, a restored paradise and a restored intimacy with God. Look at verse three again. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. In other words, in heaven and ultimately on the new earth, we get more of him, our faith being replaced with sight. But even now, isn't it wonderful to know Jesus? I would call this great already to know Jesus, even in a world with all these problems, to be one of his is absolutely thrilling. To have the word of God and to be able to get to know God through his word daily, to have this privilege of prayer, to have the Holy Spirit himself, the third person of the Trinity, living in each believer, working in us, transforming us over time into the likeness of Christ, giving us daily encouragement and strength. All this is great, but it's going to get even better in heaven even closer to him in heaven and on the new earth. So I describe it this way. Right now, it's great to know Jesus, but we're gonna go from this great experience to a perfect experience with him. This is how good it is, what we're seeing here. And so there won't be any times coming up in the future in heaven on the new earth when we're gonna wonder, well, what's God up to? I wish God would make himself known to me. Oh, we're going to know him quite well. Again, listen to the comfort and perfection that awaits us here and the intimacy of it all. Verse four again, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. I love how it's described here. It's not just that we're going to a great place where there aren't problems, but I love the tenderness here, how God represents himself, that he, he's gonna wipe away every tear from our eyes. The reason it's all gonna be so wonderful and perfect and intimate is because God is there. This loving God who washed your sins away, who's ultimately gonna restore you completely, he's wiping away the tears and there'll never be any more problems in your life. No more crying, no more mourning. How about this one? No more pain. Who's hurting this morning physically? I bet if you think about it a moment, you'll think, oh, I hurt. I hurt here. I hurt, I hurt there. Well, that hurts too. So maybe not a healthy exercise, but, but we hurt in ways. But I want you to know that no matter how badly you hurt, that's not your permanent eternal condition. There's coming a time in the presence of God when you'll never, ever hurt again for all of eternity. What a wonderful promise from God. How many of you today are carrying some heartbreak? And if you think about it, you're carrying some things that are making you sad, that you struggle with, and those are very real. I'm happy to say that God loves you and will sustain you through those things. Even now, that's how great he is. 
but he's destined you for an experience and a life in eternity where you'll never have another heartbreak. I wonder how many today are feeling lonely. And I'm so glad you came today that you would have brothers and sisters in Christ, other believers around you to, to not be alone. And I would encourage you to get into a life group where people will know you by name over time and you can build some relationships over time there. But I want you to know that, that feeling of loneliness, that terrible feeling of loneliness, it's not going to be your eternal condition. You'll never feel lonely again in all of eternity to come because of what the Lord has done for us. So celebrate your sal salvation. Yes, the salvation of your soul, that would be enough. But God's telling you, oh, but I've prepared a place for you in all of its splendor, and it is wonderful. In fact, I want to hear some more about, about, this, about this intimacy here. Look at verses 22 through 27. So now look at this. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it its light. And its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So how wonderful to always dwell in the presence and the glory of the Lord. I love how this new Jerusalem is described on the new earth. You won't be going to a building to worship. God himself is the temple, always in his presence. That's how intimate. We would say it this way, always on the ultimate spiritual high, never in one of those spiritual valleys. This is what awaits us. So restored paradise, restored in permanent intimacy with God. But how about this? Also restored beauty, restored beauty. And that's what we see here in verses 10 through 21. And we won't read all these verses due to time, but I do want you to drop in with me at various verses here as we get this physical description of the new earth and particularly the new Jerusalem here. Look at verse 11. We are told of the brilliance of it all, like jasper, clear as crystal. We're told here even of the size of this new Jerusalem that's coming out of heaven. The whole earth will be heaven in those days, but the new Jerusalem is specified here as a planned city. So here's an adjustment in our thinking. Yes, we're returning to Eden, but we're told here more of a city, a perfected city. It's a square laid out. But how about the gates? Your whole life you've heard songs about pearly gates. Are those gates made out of pearl? Yes, the word of God here describes that way here. In verse 21, the gates made of pearl. How about streets of gold? Is that for real? Yes, verse 21, right here in the scriptures, the streets of the new Jerusalem on the new earth made of gold. Verse 18 tells us that the city was pure gold. Then these high and thick walls were told made of jasper. That's verses 17 and 18. You also look at verse 18 and you'll see this, that the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. If you're like me, you have to Google these jewels. Like, what do they look like? I don't spend a lot of time in jewelry stores. I don't know those things. And so you look them up and these things are beautiful with their purples and reds and greens and blues. He named some of these and some of these I recognize, sapphire and emeralds and topaz and amethyst. So John is just being given a glimpse of our ultimate destination 
and we see the dazzling and thrilling beauty that all of us are going to experience who know Jesus Christ forever and ever. Now, all of us like our vacations. And one of the things we like about our vacations is typically we go to pretty places. And maybe you have that moment when you're about to leave that beautiful place where you had a week where you think, I, I wish I could stay here all the time. Because I'm going back where it's great, but it's not beautiful like that. It's not paradise like that. But here's what you're being told. You are going to this place, this new heaven, new earth, God's presence forever. Not for a week, not as a visitor. You're going home to this, what Jesus has prepared for you. What an upgrade he has given to us. You ever had a conversation with somebody and you say to them, how are you doing today? And they'll say something like, well... Better than the alternative. I woke up this morning, so this is better than the alternative. And I love the optimism of that. I love that they love being alive and I'm with them. I want to stay here and serve the Lord and be here for my family. But hey, it's not better than the alternative. The alternative is this. This is what we're looking forward to. Described as paradise, that's what we get to experience. How wonderful this is. Paul said to live as Christ and to die as what? Gain. And we're getting a look at why we would look at death even as gain here and what's coming even after Christ returns and even after the millennium, how good it's going to be. I love verse two. Also, he describes this new Jerusalem as a, as a bride adorned for her husband. So as a pastor, there are many facets of the role I absolutely love. And one of the things I have the privilege of doing is participating in weddings. And I, I love that. Now I have to admit Full disclosure, there's some anxiety with weddings as a pastor because you don't want to wreck some girl's dream by doing it poorly. So there's, there's a little stress there. But it is a great privilege to have some small part in what God does when he's joining a man and a woman together. I love the end of the wedding because that's a wonderful pronouncement and the kiss. And then they kind of sprint out of here to begin a new life together. That is awesome. But also the beginning of the wedding. And typically if we're doing a ceremony in here, I come this direction with the groom and we wait here. And those doors will open and the bride comes around the corner dressed in white. And it's just a beautiful moment there. And depending on the emotional makeup of the groom, sometimes he's deeply touched and shows it uh, there in a the moment. But that's the mental picture that we've come to mind. We think about here is the new Jerusalem coming down. Beautiful is the idea. Like a, like a bride adorned for her husband. And this is our home, God's home, and we're invited in this home. In fact, let me make this very clear to us. I hope this will be helpful. That when you think of heaven, understand it's for family only. This, this might be helpful to you. That heaven, think of it this way accurately, heaven is a private residence. It's not for everybody. This is God's home. And this is for his children, those who've turned from sin and trusted in Christ. They become the children of God. So everybody doesn't just go there. This is not like a state park where everybody can go to the state park. Everybody goes to heaven. It doesn't work that way. This is for those who have been forgiven, who've, who've received adoption by trusting in Jesus. And that gets to be your home. It's not the default place that everybody goes. It's not that everybody lives, everybody ages, everybody dies, everybody goes to heaven. This is not at all what we're told. In fact, we'll see in a moment, there is an alternative that's, that's frightening and God has done everything that you would not have to go there. In fact, let's take us this to this point here, verses five through eight, there's an invitation. In the midst of all this description of the beauties of heaven and the paradise and the intimacy with God, there's an in invitation here for you today to come to know this God, to receive this gift of heaven. Verse five, 
And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give from the springs of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. John is told here, write this down. People need to know this. And aren't you glad that was written down all those years ago? And you and I get to have this vision that John got to experience, this preview of heaven, this preview of the new earth, the new Jerusalem, all that. We get to see it even now. How exciting is that? And isn't it true? Jesus said, I make all things new. Oh, he ultimately is going to make everything new. But did you notice right here in this text, an invitation to anybody who had humbly come, God would save them without cost. It's verse six, hear it again. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Listen, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Here, eternal life is described as the water of life. And we're told if you recognize that you're thirsty, that God will give you what you need. He'll give you the water of life. He'll give you eternal life. But it always starts with you recognizing that you need him. I'm thirsty. Maybe you'd use those words. I'm thirsty for God. I'm bone dry apart from God. I'm broken in my sin. You can say it the same way. I'm broken in my sin. I'm hopelessly estranged from him. I, I find myself so far from God. What can I do? There, there's your moment to recognize that. And in these words, I reckon I am thirsty for what God can give me. And don't you love it? He says, I'll give you this living water. I'll give you from the streams of the water of life without payment. There's nothing you can do to pay for this. There's no work you can do to earn this. I want to give it to you freely. Now, it cost God dearly as he gave his son to die on a cross for us, a death of agony over six hours. And that's, that's even after he was already abused and tortured. But six hours on the cross, it cost him dearly to give his body and blood to atone for your sins. And he was raised from the dead. And here's our move. I will trust in him. Jesus said, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life freely offered to you. But you have to recognize your need. You need to recognize I am thirsty for only what God can give me. Did you notice here also, your name needs to be in the Lamb's book of life. So if you want to be with the Lamb, Jesus forever, your name needs to be in his book. You think, how do I know if my name is in the Lamb's book of life? Here's how you know. God's the one that writes people's names in that. And there's a lot to that and that blows your mind. But here's how you know that your name is in that book. If you belong to the lamb, if you have asked Jesus to forgive you for your sins and to be the savior of your life, if you belong to him, then you know your name is in that book. And so today I pray that you'll trust in Jesus, that you'll have confidence that you are among those that he has saved. Choose Jesus today because there is that other alternative and only one other it's verse eight again. I know it's painful to hear, but let's hear it again. But as for the cowardly, notice this next word, the faithless, the detestable as for murderers, the sexually immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. He caught everybody in that one, 
all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. If your name is not in the Lamb's book of life, you don't belong to Jesus, you don't belong to the Lamb, then this is your destination forever. And how horrific. And yet here's God saying to you, but if you'll come humbly, you acknowledge your need, I will save you. I will give you this inheritance of a home in heaven on the new earth forever and ever. Choose Jesus today. It's urgent. In just a few hours now, I'll be heading to the airport and I'll be catching a flight to Los Angeles to be with Dale Johnson. As you know, Dale is becoming a church planter uh, in, in Los Angeles in the Sherman Oaks area. Begin praying for him. And I'm, I'm going on your behalf as a sending church pastor to be a part of his North American Mission Board assessment. But here's the point. I'm going to the airport because I know there's a plane there. I've booked a flight. I wouldn't just wing it like, well, I didn't plan for this, but I think I'll just show up and probably they'll let me on. Now, I needed to plan ahead of time. I booked a flight. I'm, I'm on some list where they're going to let me on the plane. Listen, isn't going to heaven much more serious than that? So much more on the line than just a three or four day trip to California and back. You don't want to wing this. Well, I hope my name is on the list. I hope I'm in the Lamb's book of life. You don't want to risk that. And here's God who wants to save you. That's why he brought you here today to hear this message from Revelation 21. That's not accidental. This is another expression of the love of God for you. He wants to reconcile you to himself, but it's your move now. Would you humble yourself? Would you acknowledge that you need him? Would you put your faith in the one who died for you, who was raised, that he might give you this gift by faith and give you the gift of everlasting life?